0: Hello, I'm Charles Wright, and welcome to the Complete in Christ podcast, where we endeavor to fit the pieces of our lives together according to the Word of God. We've been talking about heaven, earth, and the temple, specifically how these three things are connected biblically. Last time, we looked at Solomon's Temple, noting the Edenic imagery that was present and how it served to point people back to the beginning, back to the Garden Temple, where God's presence dwelled with his creation, mankind, without any barriers or restrictions. That is, until sin entered the picture. And similarly, God's presence filled Solomon's Temple, but not without conditions. God still required Israel's obedience and commitment to him, and when the king, By his own disobedience, led the nation into national disobedience, God removed his presence from them, and then the people are taken into exile. But in the midst of that exile, there is a prophetic hope that one day a king will come who instead of leading the people into sin will lead them into righteousness and will usher in a new way of experiencing God. In today's episode, we're going to look at Jesus as the temple and how through him, we now can experience God's presence in a new way. So let's get to it. Now, if you recall from our last episode, we talked about this prophetic hope of heaven invading earth. Uh, And this would happen and be facilitated through a future king, a king who would fully and completely submit to God, who would lead people back to God, who would rejoin God's domain with our domain in a new creation, and who would usher in a new age of experiencing God. Specifically, if we look at uh, Ezekiel and if we look at Zechariah, we'll see two examples of this. Ezekiel chapter 43, verses 6 and 7 say that, "...while the man was standing beside me, I heard one speaking to me out of the temple, and he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the people of Israel forever." And the house of Israel shall no more defile my holy name, neither they nor their kings by their whoring and by the dead bodies of their kings at their high places. Zechariah, second chapter, verse 10 says, sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Now, for a little bit of context, Ezekiel is a prophet during the Babylonian exile who has shown visions of God's glory leaving from the temple. God's glory is literally departing from the temple because of Israel's sin and Israel's refusal to submit to him as not just a God, but as the one and only God. Zechariah, on the other hand, is a prophet priest who is prophesying after the exile, specifically when the nation of Israel is kind of fragmented. Some have remained in the land of their exile while a remnant has returned to Jerusalem, but Ultimately, those that return to Jerusalem are discouraged because they see the walls of Jerusalem are still in disarray. They see that the temple is partially rebuilt, and they wonder whether or not God's presence will ever reside among them again. But it's against this backdrop and in this context that this prophetic thread of hope kind of glows against this darkness of discouragement, right? And it really is that there is still hope that God's presence not only is going to return to dwelling among his people, but it will actually dwell there forever. Hmm. Now, what we know from a historical perspective is that the temple is ultimately rebuilt underneath King Zerubbabel. But two things must be noted about this second temple. One is that it does not match the splendor of Solomon's temple. And that's a, a footnote of, of interest, but it's not as significant as this next footnote, which is that the second temple is not inhabited by God's glory. Recall in First Kings chapter eight, verse 10, verses 10 through 13, that when Solomon's temple is completed and the priests go in to kind of consecrate the most inner part of it, the Holy of Holies, they go in there to minister, that they can't minister in there because of the cloud of the, the glory of God fills the house. And it's, it's a way of God almost stamping his approval on dwelling in this temple. But what we see in the second temple is while God still honors the obedience of the people and having created the temple and rebuilt it and coming back to Jerusalem and trying to rededicate themselves now back to him after their exile period, he doesn't fill this temple. His presence doesn't fill this temple. His glory does not show up in this temple. And this creates some tension because on one hand, we have the prophecy of Ezekiel and Zechariah promising that God would make his dwelling place among Israel forever, promising that he would be amongst his people, that he would dwell with them like he had done before, and that this time it would last forever. But here we have the temple rebuilt, and it's specifically being built for God's presence for his dwelling, but he does not dwell there. He doesn't put his stamp of approval, so to speak. His glory does not inhabit the temple. He was pleased to dwell in Solomon's temple, we're told, but he does not dwell in the second temple. Now, if we look now into the New Testament, holding all those things in mind, John, the first chapter, verses 47 through 51, we have an interesting encounter between Jesus and Nathaniel. And he said to him, this is Jesus speaking to Nathaniel. truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, that's an interesting verse, and it should pique our interest and attention because we've heard that language before. In a larger sense, we've heard the Son of Man language in Daniel, when Daniel sees his vision of one like the Son of Man ascending to the throne of the Ancient of Days, right? But we've also heard in in this language in in a vision of the heavens being open and the angels of God, the messengers of God ascending and descending. Remember Jacob in the wilderness, when he has that vision and he sees the staircase and he sees God at the top of it and it uh, has its bottom there where he is laying and he sees angels ascending and descending so jesus is using some interesting language here to talk about himself and we talked about it in the in the specifically in genesis in the jacob vision that this is an indication that there's an overlap happening here that this place that jacob is is resting in he even says it himself he says man i, I didn't even realize that That I was on in holy ground, that this is a special place. This is surely I've encountered God here. And Jesus is now using this same language, referring to himself that almost saying that in the same way that Jacob saw an overlap of God's domain with man's domain in the ascending and the descending of these messengers of God, these angels of God, you will see that happening with me. He's saying, I am this overlap. I am this special overlap of God's domain and man's domain. (laughs) Let's keep pushing at this thing. In John, second chapter, verses 13 through 17, it's the Passover. And here you find these words. The Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And again, right? What are we getting? We're getting an image and a picture of the kind of king or the kind of man, the kind of person that Jesus is. He is someone who has a zeal for the house of the Lord. He's someone who has. Uh, who holds very tightly to how the temple should be treated and how the temple should be cared for and what should be happening within the temple. Recall that some of the failures of the kings of Israel wasn't that they just abandoned God, but that they started erecting uh, idols to other gods, even in the midst of the temple. That they started putting things right next to their worship of God, that did not belong there. And we see here as an example of Jesus's, again, his zeal for his father's house, that he has a special eye towards not just the practices of God, but the dwelling place, the things of God, the things that are considered to be sanctified, to be separate, to be holy and reserved only for God. Moving on in John 2 verses 18 through 22, we see Uh, So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? In other words, what authority do you have to be moving through and talking as tough as you're doing and clearing out the temple and all these things you're declaring? In verse 19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? Verse 21, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now, again, there's this subtle shift that's happening now in what people are understanding Jesus, his doing and his saying, and then what it means later on. So we have Jesus actually referring to himself now as the temple, indicating that they would destroy that temple, but that he would raise it up in three days. It's clear that the Jews of the time have only in eye the second temple. The second temple that we've already established was not as grand as Solomon's, did not have God's stamp of approval as his glory did not indwell in that temple. But Jesus is talking about himself. As a temple. Now the one that I think really is an excellent example and it's a very short verse. it's found in Colossians verse one or chapter one verse 19. and this is Paul talking to the Colossians, the Christians in, in Coloss and he's helping them understand the supremacy or the enoughness of Christ as just as a plug here. If you haven't checked out my series on Colossians, please do so as I walk through each chapter, really just talking about how Paul lays out Christ as being supreme, as him being enough and being more than enough, actually, to meet the challenges that the Colossian church and us today are facing. But more specifically to Jesus as the temple, Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, Paul simply says that for in him, that's Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Just let that resonate in your mind for a little bit. Because what have we been seeing throughout all of scripture? What we've been seeing is God desiring to dwell amongst his people, but something, sin, namely rebellion, disobedience, right? Idolatry, all those things causing it to where he can no longer dwell in those places, whether it's in the garden, whether it's in uh, the tabernacle and the temple, whatever the case may be, right? Something comes and makes it to where God cannot dwell as he would please amongst his people. But what we see in Jesus through the apostle Paul is that in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now I handle this in much more length in the previous series that I just referenced, but suffice it to say that where there were issues and uh, and some caveats and other things that had to be kind of done for God's presence to be amongst his people, whether that's the sacrifice, whether that's the, the ritual washing and, and all of those types of things, what we see in Jesus is that God was pleased to dwell in him fully. Now, that's temple language. That is what those who were building the temple were wanting. They were wanting to have a place that God would be pleased to dwell in fully so that they could worship him, so that they could be in close contact with him. And what Paul tells us is that this that we were chasing through uh, from since the garden, through the tabernacle, through the first temple, through the second temple, is satisfied, and finds its completion and fulfillment in Jesus the Christ. Now, remember, think about all those verses that we just went through, and remember what the prophetic hope, that thread we talked about right at the beginning of the episode, that there would be this future king of the line of David, a king who would uh, fully and completely submit to God, who would lead people back to God, who would rejoin God's domain with our domain, in a new creation and usher in a new age of, in a new way of experiencing God. And here we have Jesus entering the scene in the New Testament in the second temple period. And it becomes clear that he's fully and submitted to God. He, he has a zeal for God's house and for the law of God. He is looking to lead people back to God, to reconcile them back to God. He's wanting to rejoin that that was lost in the Garden of Eden. He's wanting to rejoin God's domain with man's domain, so much so indicating that he is the one that represents the physical manifestation of that overlap and through him usher in a new age of experiencing God. Jesus is the walking, talking temple of God. God's presence is pleased to fully Dwell in him. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Complete in Christ podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode or series, you can send them to questions at complete in Christ podcast.org. Please include your name, where you're from and the specific episode you're referencing. Also, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It gives us feedback that helps us to keep improving and provide some insight for those who may be listening for the very first time. Again, my name is Charles Wright, and until next time, be blessed.